Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. mesmerizing. Thank you. you. Beloved, this morning on this first Sunday of Advent, our reading presents from the Gospel according to Luke. Luke's Gospel, written between 80 and 90 CE, shows particular concern for outcasts, 
victims of oppression and the marginalized. Throughout Luke, Jesus insists that the gospel proclaimed in his name be a message of hope and justice for all people. One way to appreciate the beauty and impact of this particular gospel is to envision what our faith would be without it. Where would we be without the poetry of the Ave Maria, Mary's Magnificat, Zachariah's Benedictus, or the praise-filled glory in excelsis, all of which emerge from the first two chapters of Luke. Modern readers today might think that Luke's gospel was something of a musical. Every time something significant happens in the prologue, a character just spontaneously bursts into song. Many scholars believe that all of the most important themes of the entire Gospel of Luke are introduced in the first two chapters. So let us turn now and listen to one of the most beautiful hymns of the New Testament, Mary's Magnificat as presented in chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. My soul will magnify the Lord. I rejoice in God my If I asked you to name some of your favorite songs that would top your Christmas season playlist, the kind of songs that would hit the radio or maybe you'd hear on TV a commercial or maybe hear as you're shopping for your Christmas gifts in the mall, if I were to ask you to name some of those songs, I'm guessing you could probably come up with at least a few, like maybe that overplayed, annoying earworm of a song by Mariah Carey, that one, or maybe that old dreamy classic by... Bing Crosby, maybe one of those catchy 1980 hits by Wham or Band-Aid or Eurythmics. One of my new favorites is now going to be O Come, O Come, Emmanuel to the tune of Seven Nation Army, that's for sure. We all have our favorite Christmas tunes, but did you know that people have been singing about Christmas actually for thousands of years, long before the very first Christmas ever happened? 
And none of those songs ever made today's airwaves, but they did make it into our Bible. And they are some of the most inspiring and hopeful songs ever written. They sing about this Messiah who will come to a people living in fear and darkness to redeem and redream this world that we're living in. And none of those songs ever made the the top 40 charts back in their day. If only we had Taylor Swift back then, maybe things would be different. But, But today, they are more relevant than ever because the world that they speak of is the same world that we are living in, very similar. They speak of a world that's in deep turmoil, violence, and war, and a people who are truly desperate for peace. And this ever-faithful God who will not rest until all of creation is finally redeemed. And we heard one of those ancient songs read today. It's sung by one of the most unlikely of performers, a girl by the name of Mary, who happens to be pregnant with a child whom she now will name Jesus. And her song pierces the darkness of her world and the darkness of our own. Before we get to her song, I think it's important to correct some common misconceptions about Mary. Centuries of paintings and sculptures, even our modern Hallmark Christmas cards, have mostly depicted Mary as this beautiful, regal woman. So we imagine her in our minds as this cross between an oil of Olay model wrapped in a bath towel and, and a young Martha Stewart type wearing an apron and holding a a hot glue gun, right? It's like a combination of elegance and refinery with somebody who's crafty and handy around the house. But there's something about Mary that is altogether unlovely, unattractive. She's this unskilled, uneducated girl, probably around 14 years old. A nameless, unheard of nobody, a child in a grown-up world, a girl in what was back then a man's world, and nobody outside of Mary's village even knows she exists. In fact, nobody outside of Mary's village even knows that her village exists. Mary's unlikely story and her extraordinary song reminds me, as I thought about it this week, of that story of Susan Boyle. Do you remember the Susan Boyle story? In 2009, Susan Boyle was this unknown, unassuming 47-year-old karaoke queen who appeared on that show, um, uh, Britain's Got Talent, right? And when she walked out on the stage, this plain-looking, middle-aged Scottish woman uh, was clearly out of her league. In fact, the audience sneered and whistled cat calls. And it was almost, as you watched it, it was almost like this was just a joke. And then all at once, she... She burst into her song, and she brought down the house. Do you remember that song, I Dreamed a Dream, from Les Miserables? She sang, I dreamed a dream in times gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. It turned out to be the performance of the ages. In fact, if you look today, it's been viewed now 262 million times on YouTube. Boyle became an overnight global sensation. In fact, she went on to produce seven albums. And she revealed right after that show that as an infant being born, she suffered um, traumatic brain injury. She was mildly impaired at her birth. And so part of what she did on that stage was to prove to the world 
that her disability was actually an ability. I dreamed a dream, and time's gone by. You can almost hear in that song the faint echoes of another song, sung by this other woman about another dream in a long-ago time. Only that woman is not a woman necessarily, but a girl. And that girl is pregnant. This is not super good news for this girl, by the way. It rarely is when a young teenager gets pregnant. Um, She's engaged, but not yet married. She has this mysterious encounter with an angel who tells her she's been chosen to bear the Son of God, that her pregnancy is, in fact, caused by God's Spirit. And Mary, to our surprise in that story, before we get to our song, says yes to the angel. Let it be with me according to your will, she says. But then, of course, reality sets in. How will she break this news to Joseph? When her belly starts to swell and Joseph knows the baby's not his, what's she going to say then? What's she going to tell her parents, who will certainly be shamed by her village? I mean, can you imagine that conversation? Mom? Dad? Joey? Got a little something to tell you, but don't freak out. Uh, hmm, how do I say this without sounding crazy? Um, I had this experience the other night. An angel showed up in my, in my room. God somehow got involved, and don't freak out because God's totally cool with this, but wow. Yeah. I'm pregnant. Mary knows that nobody's going to buy that story, so she runs away. And for all the unbelievable stuff about this story, that part's kind of believable. That this young teenager, disillusioned, runs away from home. In the Greek, it actually says that she sprints to the house of her relative Elizabeth. She's looking for acceptance, looking for somebody she can trust with this news, and that someone is Elizabeth, and Elizabeth doesn't judge her at all. She takes Mary into her home and says to her, blessed are you among women. Can you imagine to hear those words of pure grace, no judgment, just love? It's no wonder Mary stayed there for three months in that in that little place of love. While she's there, she comes up with this song. It's actually a song that comes from the book of 1 Samuel. It's Hannah's song that she sings in the Old Testament about when she discovers she's pregnant. Mary makes it her song. We call it today the Magnificat because it's named after the Latin word, the first word of that song, which is, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in this song, she dreams a dream, but instead of dreaming of a time gone by, it's dreaming of a future that's unfolding before her very eyes. Her song is not a sweet lullaby, by the way. It's super edgy and very subversive. It's like a Joan Baez kind of song. I mean, did you hear these radical lyrics? He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He's pulled down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and he's sent sent the rich empty-handed away. I'm pretty sure you will never find those words on a Hallmark Christmas card because it sounds like a radical manifesto 
and it kind of was. It was about politics and economics and revolution, the redistribution of wealth. What in the world is Mary singing about? Can I just lift up two quick things? The first is what Mary knows and what she's saying is that when God's redemption comes to this world, it comes first and foremost to those who are poor. Oscar Romero, the the martyred Catholic Archbishop of El Salvador, said something radical. He said, no one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, those who look down on others, who think they have no need even of God. He said, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor and hungry, those who need someone to come to their help, to their aid, to their behalf, will have God, Emmanuel, with them. What Romero was saying was that only those who've experienced real poverty of some kind can receive God's redemption. I don't think, G- I don't think Mary necessarily or Romero necessarily meant that, that poverty was strictly a matter of how much money you have in your bank account. God doesn't play favorites according to our net worth. God doesn't glamorize the poor any more than God doesn't demonize the wealthy. Jesus, in fact, gave wealthy people a hard time, not because they had money, but because they loved their money more than they loved God. And so we know this truth. Only those who have experienced some kind of poverty in their lives can truly be open to receiving God's love and grace. Maybe poor people like Mary are just a little more inclined to know that they actually have a need and to ask for it to be filled. And maybe the rich just sometimes don't. When you're poor, your need tends to be rather obvious to everyone, including yourself. And now I think this is the better understanding of poverty. It's more than simply a lack of money or wealth. Every one of us in this room knows you can suffer from an impoverishment of love or an impoverishment of acceptance, or a peace of mind. We all know that we can be poor in spirit or hope. We can be poor of compassion for others. We've all experienced the poverty of soul at some, kind, some moment, the poverty of conscience, the poverty of friendship. This is why when you read the Gospels, the people with all the real problems, they're not the obvious, like, adulterers and sinners and thieves and all them. I mean, they're messed up too, but, but they know it. And so Jesus comes to them and gives them redemption. But throughout the Gospels, what you find is the people who have the real problems are those that can't let go of their wealth, of their grudges, of their religion, of their status. They simply believe they have no need of God. We all have those same needs that we can't alone fulfill we all experience an impoverishment of some kind. Our culture tries to fill that with messages that if you only buy more, if you only work harder, if you only earn enough, if you only become enough, you'll have enoughness. But Mary Song is saying that those who are empty will be filled just because they know the world can't give that. Beginning right around the third century after Christ, Many early Christians retreated to the desert and wilderness to live a monastic life, to get away from the busyness and distractions of the world. 
they became known, as you may have heard, they become known as the, the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And they, they gathered over time this collective wisdom, which they often put into stories. In one of their stories, a young emperor comes to visit an old monk in the desert. And the emperor ordered his entourage to stay behind, and he approached the monk's cell. And when he arrived, he removed his cap or his crown and hid it. And then he knocked on the monk's door. And opening the door, the, the monk immediately recognized this man as the emperor. And yet he pretended not to know him. And he welcomed the emperor inside. They prayed and sat together. And the emperor looked around the cell and only saw one thing, a, a, a basket containing bread. And the monk said, eat. And the monk dipped the bread into oil and salt and gave it to him. And he ate. Then the monk gave him water and he drank. Finally, the emperor asked him, do you know who I am? And the monk replied, God knows who you are. Then the emperor identified himself and the monk bowed in homage. And the emperor said, you are blessed because you do not have all the cares of this world. He said, I was born a king and the affairs of my empire are a constant concern to me. Each day I, I dine on the richest meals. I drink the finest wines. And yet today, this mere bread and water have satisfied me as no sumptuous meal ever has. Simple wisdom. It reminds us that sometimes we fill ourselves with things that don't satisfy the emptiness and sometimes we happen across the real thing and we see it. So Mary sings about redemption that comes to those who are hungry and empty. A poverty of body or soul or both. Those who say, I need grace. There's one other thing about Mary's song that I think is so relevant to our lives. And it's so subtle you may not have heard it. But she sings this song in the past tense. For the rest of the world it hasn't happened yet. But she's singing it as though it's already happened. He already has scattered the proud and the arrogant. He already has pulled down the mighty from the throne. He already has filled the empty with good things. She's singing about a world that no one else can see. She's like walking around her little world like she knows a secret. Nobody else knows. And in that world, as she walks around her own community, all she sees is a, is a, a whole people who have been crushed by military occupation for a whole generation. Every day it's humiliation and, and hopelessness and hungry babies. Every day people are asking, how, how can anyone believe in God when all this is going on? And after 40 years of wondering if the day of justice would ever come, Mary shows up and says, it's here. Mary knows what only God knows. That there is hidden beyond the realms of this world, a deeper hidden realm. There's a divine reality unfolding behind the known invisible realities of our world where God is at work creating something new. And this new world is not just growing in her as hope, it's growing in her as a child. If you've ever felt like it's just hopeless and cynical when you look at the world, remember Mary's witness, 
which says that, that history belongs to those who can see what the rest of the world can't, who know a secret that others don't know, that God isn't done. Not with you, not with the world. Redemption's coming. And the only question then will, is this. Will we, like Mary, give birth to that new world or will we just be midwives and handmaids to the broken world we already have? Did you know that cuckoo birds are the most notorious scammers on the planet? For two million years, African cuckoo finches have been tricking other birds into raising their young by laying eggs that mimic the same color as those parent birds. Now, cuckoo finches, they look so cute in their little feathery suits, but their charming appearance belies their nefarious nature. Cuckoos are scam artists, and they will wait for parent birds to leave their nest and then stealthily come in and lay their eggs in the nests of those other bird species where those unsuspecting foster parents treat those eggs like their very own. I mean, brilliant, right? But here's the real kicker. Cuckoo eggs hatch earlier than other species. And so those cuckoo chicks grow quicker and they can beg more loudly for food than the other chicks in the nest which makes those other chicks in the nest especially vulnerable to starvation as those parents prioritize the imposter. Thinking about cuckoos, maybe Mary's song raises a really important question for us. What kind of world are we incubating and birthing and fostering and perpetuating. Is it God's new world? Or is it the world of the imposters? The mystic Meister Eckhart said, we are all meant to be mothers of God. And what good is it if this eternal birth of the divine son takes place unceasingly but does not take place in myself? And what good is it if Mary is full of grace and if I'm not also full of grace? What good is it for the creator to give birth to his son if I do not also give birth to him in my own time and my own culture? Our takeaways for today, poverty is where God enters in. History belongs to those who can see what others cannot see. We are all meant to give birth to Christ in our own time and culture. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.